Whisper Podcast. Oh, sorry. Whisper Podcast may contain content that may be sensitive for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. That's better. your host, Zach Tyler. My pronouns are they, them. And I'm your host, Dylan Gomez. My pronouns are also they, them. And this is a podcast where the fine arts, true crime, and mental health are a throuple. And we bring you episode nine. And And today we're going to be talking about the topic, the gay trans panic defense. I wish. (laughs) What a downer. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, I really wish that like, I like, I really wish that my topics were more exciting to, like, discuss, but most of them are just going to be, like... You know what? But they are important. We need to talk about it. It's also really interesting. I can't believe this is real. Like, I literally can't. Oh, my God. Me neither. Okay, me neither. But before we jump on in and we really get down to the nitty and gritty, how are you doing today, Dylan? Oh, my gosh. I am doing fantastical. You know? Fantastic. Wonderful, stunning. Yes. Unique. I feel so unique today. Yes. I had some vegan mac. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> we love some vegan mac. Yes, a vegan mac, a little jackfruit on the side. Rate it on a scale of 1 to 10. It was definitely, I'm going to give it a, like a 7.5. I need a, like a little salad with it. A little salad. It was just a, a, lot, of, a lot of, a little, a little heavy. A little heavy, a little, yeah. A little heavy, but still very good. No, I get that. I Excellent. get that. But... That's good. I'm really glad that you had vegan mac, and I'm glad that you're feeling fabulous and unique and dandy today. Hello. Yes, hello. The Dandy Dylan. Um, yeah. And how are you doing today, Zach? What's what's going on in the world of Zach right now? You know, honestly, I'm doing somewhat okay, somewhat not okay, because I'm just really trying to be a good plant parent, and it just seems that I'm, like, failing at it. Like... I've had to like <laughs> revive so many of my plants. I'm like literally, what I what am I doing wrong? And it's like, I think you know, I think that everybody and your plants will understand. It, like, parenting is not easy, no. especially like you never know. Sometimes like you give them too much love, and too it's like love. it's like they need a little space, but it's hard because like you love them. Yeah, exactly. You know? And it's like, baby, I just need you to communicate that to me. Like, please. Yeah, but uh, I, I think you're a great plant parent, and none of your plants look like they're dead, so. Thank you. There's I always hope. That. There's always hopes, you know. Just doing the best that I can. Um, aside from that, it's a beautiful day out here in Los Angeles. It's really starting to get into those fall vibes, so I'm, like, living for it. Um, we love spooky season. We love Hello. spooky season. We eat up spooky season. Um, yeah, so... I'm overall good, (laughs) but to go ahead and jump on in, we're going to be talking about the gay slash trans panic defense. And um, Dylan, I actually didn't know that this was a thing up until you brought it to my attention. So it was like a big discovery and shock to me. So I can only imagine how much of a big discovery and shock it's going to be for all of our listeners. Oh, yes. Yes. I was like, when I heard about it, Immediately after, I was like, Zach needs to cover this because it is wild. I could not believe it was real. And then I looked it up and I was like, no freaking way. 
Yeah, it's almost like something that you think that you would hear, and it's like a rumor. Because you're like, that I was like, that doesn't happen. That can't be real. That doesn't happen. Like, who would use that? Like, Yeah, people... who, why would people get away with this? Yeah. But but it's, I mean, I think you, well, jump in. Jump in, Zach. Yeah. So, um, for those of you who may or may not know what the Gay Trans Panic Defense, this article comes from the American Bar Association. So, um, this is derived right directly from their page, so I'm just going to be reading what they defined it as. So the defense is defined by the LGBT bar as a legal strategy which asks the jury to find that a victim's sexual orientation or gender identity is to blame for the defendant's violent reaction, including murder. Murder. <laughs> Are <laughs> Justifiable murder? What? No. Okay. So a victim's sexual orientation or gender identity is to blame for a defendant's violent action. A defendant's violent actions, including murder. Like, oh, God. No. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Literally for who someone is as a person, you it justifies murder and violence. Disgusting. Um, gross. So basically, this legally sanctioned discrimination against one's sexual orientation and gender identity must cease. In the United States, the LGBTQ plus community makes up at least 3.5% of the total population, yet is vastly overrepresented in hate crime statistics. Don't know why. Um, in 2007, sexual orientation ranked as the third highest motivator for hate crime incidents at 17% of total attacks behind race, 51%, and religion, 18%. Over the course of lesbian, gay, or bisexual people's lifetimes, one in five will experience hate crimes, and one in four transgender people will as well. Those individuals at the intersection of homophobia, transphobia, racism, face worse statistics. Between 2013 and 2017, of the 102 known transgender people killed in hate crimes in the United States, 75 were Black or African American. Which, I mean, I find that almost every story that we, at least like true crime story and like even in our irks and perks, we always come across hate crimes towards black people or, oh, absolutely. or the african-american community all the time and it's it's just it's devastating it's devastating that this is it's devastating that it's a thing and it really shouldn't be a thing yeah um but i mean we already know this so yeah the, yeah <sighs> although these numbers are already high highly representative of the lgbtq plus community compared to the u.s population they could be higher Often crimes against the LGBTQ plus community are not recorded as hate crimes by all official sources. Fears of retaliation, discrimination, harassment, or being outed to friends and family of five are also concerns that may inhibit the LGBTQ plus victims from reporting crimes against them. Which I would totally, I totally understand why someone would not want to open up about something that's happened to them because it's like they still may be in the closet and it may just not be a safe space for them to come out yet. Absolutely. So it's like they just have to endure these this type of violence and these types of crimes. And, and it's I think too awful. I think too like it's important to point out the fact that if like a hate crime has occurred to them, you know they they already don't feel safe. Exactly. You know that's already you're already in a vulnerable position and it's like now you're you, you get to be outed. Uh, also, it's like you don't even know if people will take you seriously. Um, a lot of the times, people don't take them seriously, which is, I, I, I think it's even higher than this by far because a lot of transgender women, when they're murdered or, like, attacked, they don't get the media to... They don't say that it was a transgender woman. They'll say, like, 
like they'll call them you know a male and they won't even mention the fact that they were transgender women and that they possibly were that it was possibly a hate crime exactly you know they don't even they don't even mention that a lot of the times yeah so so yeah even like because we 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 talk a lot about with each other about about transgender especially like crimes and such like whenever we hear about them and a lot of the time like i don't know if you've noticed like when we read the articles they'll still like mention like they'll they'll call them a male exactly yeah use the wrong pronouns and it's just awful and sometimes they'll blatantly use the wrong name yeah and and i think that that's just fucking awful because it's like how are we supposed to get justice and how are we supposed to make awareness around this when we can't even properly identify the person you know it's like yeah it just makes it seem like so wrong so i even think personally i do think it's way higher than this also 3.5% 3.5% of the population being LGBTQIA seems super low to me. I think it could be a lot higher, but I mean, people don't come out because it's not safe exactly. in a lot of places. So, I don't know, that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, and like referring back to what you said, is it's like sometimes people don't believe that these crimes actually happen to the victim. A lot of people want to go out and they want to victim blame. Oh, and absolutely. So it's like, absolutely. oh, well, what were you wearing? Like, how yeah. are you acting like too much like yourself like you know like these different types of things like they'll victim blame and they'll try to make it justifiable why they were a victim of a certain hate crime well this whole fucking defense is a victim blame oh yeah it's, this whole thing is a victim blame if you look like the legal strategy which asks a jury to find the victim's sexual orientation and gender the victim to blame like that's no. That right there says it within itself. That's literally the first sentence of this, uh, like, article. So, that's crazy. Yeah. So, um, it must be noted that the gay-slash-trans panic is not an affirmative legal defense. It is a tactic to strengthen the defense by playing on prejudice. It has, however, been used to not only explain a defendant's actions, but excuse them as well. Typically, the defense has three variations. Defense of insanity or dis- diminished capacity defense of provocation, and defense of self-defense. The insanity or diminished capacity defense argues that the victim's sexual orientation or gender identity is to blame for the defendant's breakdown into a panic. The provocation defense argues that the victim's proposition of a non-violent sexual advance could be sufficiently provocative to induce a defendant to kill them. The final variation of self-defense claims that because of the victim's sexual orientation or gender identity, the victim must must have been about to cause a defendant serious bodily harm. Despite debunking gay panic defense and its removal from the DSM by the American Psychological Association in 1973, legal defense teams continue to use it. I think it's wild that it was ever in the DSM. To begin with, but it's yeah. like, also, it's like, I understand that it is a lawyer's job to defend their client, but the fact that they want to stoop so low and use something like so it's just what the i mean you're literally victim blaming and in court in open court and that's that's just wild it's so wild so this kind of like wanted to 
broaden my horizon, if you will, and really kind of make me question, like, why people may be homophobic or transphobic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was able I to... I love that. No, you're you're seeing the situation from both ends, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And I think, I think that's really important to do. So I just really wanted to explore that. So I was able to find um, two articles that I kind of combined together. One of them was from LiveScience.com, and it was written by Stephanie Pappas. And article two was from changingattitude.org from the UK. And basically, homophobic, homophobic attitudes may say a lot about the person who holds them. New research suggests a new study of university students in Italy revealed that people who have strongly negative views of gay people also have higher levels of psychoticism and inappropriate coping mechanisms than those who are accepting of homosexuality. This doesn't mean that homophobic people are psychotic, Rather, psychoticism is a personality trait marked by hostility, anger, and aggression towards other. But the study does suggest that people who cling to homophobic views have some psychological issues, said lead researcher Emmanuel Giannini. Earlier research has found homophobia to be a complex subject, with some studies suggesting that people with visceral negative reactions to the LGBTQ community harbor same-sex desires themselves. Other studies, though, contest that idea and suggests that homophobic people are truly averse to same-sex attraction. Other factors such as religiosity, sensitivity to disgust, hypermasculinity, and misogyny seem to play a role in anti-gay beliefs. Which, I mean, it's honestly not a surprise for me. Like, it makes sense that it is a form of psychoticism. Like, that yeah. makes sense to me. I, uh, I think it does speak more about the person being homophobic than the the homo themselves exactly <laughs> for sure like if you're gay like and somebody hates you like just for the way that you are that kind of that's like, who hurt volume. you exactly who hurt you, honey exactly um <clears throat> so in a new study the researchers asked 551 italian students ranging in ages from 18 to 30 to fill out their questionnaires on levels of homophobia as well as their psych- psychopathology including levels of depression, anxiety, and psychoticism. The homophobia scale required participants to rate how strongly they agreed or disagreed on a five-point scale with 25 statements, such as, gay people make me nervous. I think homosexual people should not work with children. I tease and make jokes about gay people. And it does not matter to me whether my friends are gay or straight. Overall, the better the mental health of the person based on the responses in the questionnaire, the less likely he or she was to be homophobic. The researchers found people with fearful avoidant attachment styles who tend to feel uncomfortable in close relationships with others were significantly more homophobic than those who were secure with close relationships the researchers also found that people with higher levels of immature defense mechanisms were more homophobic than those with mature defense mechanisms high levels of hostility and anger measured as psychoticism were also linked to homophobia the researchers found but other mental health issues had the opposite association Depression and neurotic defense mechanisms like hypochondria or repression were both linked to lower levels of homophobia. The findings position homophobia as a trait more often seen in dysfunctional personalities, but personality isn't the whole story. Homophobia is a culture-induced disease. Gee, would you believe that, <laughs> said Janine. So, she didn't say the gee, would you believe that, that was me, but <laughs> what the fuck, um, Janine said. So, personality traits probably interplay with factors like religion and conservative values. The researchers are currently expanding the studies to student in Albania, Janini said. They're also studying how the fear of not being man enough might influence homophobic attitudes. 
Oh God, what is man enough? Somebody please tell me. Some people are transphobic or homophobic due to lack of real understanding of what it means to be LGBTQ+, without being able to access accurate information. They may struggle to make sense of the things that they hear. For example, a lot of transphobia is actually bred from a lack of understanding about differences between sex and gender. Improving education about what it means to be trans or what it means to be gay can actually help to reduce this type of discrimination. A lack of education may also mean that people say or do homophobic things without realizing it. For example, when children use the word gay to mean bad, this furthers the idea that gay, that being gay is actually a bad thing. which. I feel like that's kind of been filtered out as the years went on, like, more people call it, like, oh, why would you say something is gay? But it's like, if I still pass, like, a group of bros, I've definitely heard, like, oh, bro, that's gay, like, yeah. used so many times, you know? So yeah. it's like, it's filtered out by some people, but not Oh, man, I think everybody. we just don't hang out with the people that say those things. <laughs> I mean, like, when we say something's gay, by the way, because we say that sometimes, but we literally mean it's gay. Yeah, but we literally like, mean that it's gay. Like, <laughs> yeah, we literally mean that it's gay. And, you know, we're part of the community, so it's like... Yeah, we don't, like, I never refer to things as gay if they're bad. That's yeah, no, no, it's like... We love and embrace the culture, you know, yeah, because we're part of it. But it's like a fucking no. bro saying it. Yeah, and you know what? Um, too, I I I worked at a daycare for for a couple of years, and I saw like I did hear children often say things were gay, and I was like, I was like, is it? I was like, do 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 they feel affectionate towards the uh, same sex? They're like, what? What are you talking about? No, I'm saying it's stupid. Yeah, and I was like, oh, okay, then just say it's stupid. Yeah. And I was like, and actually don't say that because stupid is a bad word. Yeah. You know what my favorite, like, commercial is of all times? I what? think it's Hillary Duff. <laughs> she but, ended homophobia with that one. Oh, but, my gosh. So good. For those of you who don't know, it's literally, like, these two guys sitting at a table. And one of the guys goes to the other guy, like, oh, bro, like, that's gay. And then she walks over, like, in her Hillary Duff manner, and is like, hey, um, maybe we shouldn't use that word. Like, if I think that something is stupid, maybe I would describe it as, like, oh, some slim, skinny guy with the ugly mustache. You know, like, how yeah, like Yeah, like, that? describing him, pretty so, much. Basically, like, describing him. She's like, what if we use that instead? So I, I was just like, yes, you slapped on that. Homophobia ended, but not really. Not really, but, but girl, she did her part. She did right her there. part. Thank you, Hillary Duff. Thank you for ending him. I hope that Hillary. she's doing great. Um, I think she is. She's doing fabulous. <laughs> I think she is. She's, okay, we can't jump down okay. <laughs> Don't Don't let Hillary Duff warm more right now. Yeah, we'll, we'll get too, too deep into this rabbit hole. But back to the article. Transphobic and homophobic people will often spread misinformation or lies about the LGBTQ community. Some people will find it very difficult to separate the facts from fiction. If someone is exposed to fake facts for a long time, this can help to create prejudice, even in people who are normally reasonable and rational. Small lies can quickly build up into bigger lies, and people are more likely to believe the bigger lies if they have already accepted the smaller ones. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, social media platforms such as Twitter and Facebook now means that it is easier than ever to get this kind of material out to a wide audience. Likes and shares on social media also mean that some people are exposed to this type of content who may not normally see it. This type of propaganda is used by many different hate groups, not just homophobic or transphobic groups. Which is why we gotta create more 
queer positive media. Yes, we need to flush out all of that because yeah, yeah, we need to fix that because it's true. Like if these people are only exposed to that and they never see any queer person for what they are, just queer, just people, you know, they're they're gonna believe the lies. Oh yeah, for sure. No, like I've heard like comments like. It literally told to my face, like, well, you're gonna make them gay. I'm like, okay, if I... <laughs> so you're telling me that yeah. you made them straight. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, you're gonna make them gay. And I'm like, um, I don't have that kind of power. <laughs> I, like, I am not a god. And yeah, I don't. I, I'm not god, no. I, I can't do that. And you know what? If it were that easy, you know? Everybody would be gay. <laughs> Everyone would be gay. Like, come on. <laughs> you think I would struggle this much? Like, if I could just make everyone gay around me? You know, it'd Dylan, be great. I think that you might need to quit the podcast to go and become God to make everybody yeah, gay. Yeah, yeah. You know, just, just you know, I think that shoot I saw... people with a little gay um, Cupid's arrow. I think that I saw, like, a job description on Indeed or something like that. You yeah. Really oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm going to link my, I'm going to go on LinkedIn right now and apply. Please. We need it. Circling back to men, (laughs) men have been led to believe that they have the strength and power over others. Therefore, some men feel threatened when their power is challenged. Some people go on to commit homophobic assaults because they have been made to feel inadequate, whether intentionally or unintentionally. These feelings of inadequacy can stem from things as trivial as seeing gay men having a good time with a straight woman or meeting an LGBTQ plus person who is more successful than they are. Men who feel that their power is threatened in this way may try to take the power back through threats or violence. Which, oh god, like, how shallow do you have to be? No, like, no, how insecure, honey. Uh, how insecurity, like the uh, insecurity jumps out with that one. Like, <sighs> God, like you really like so fragile, really. So fragile. And there's nothing wrong with being fragile, but if you're that sensitive, and then you go and take out your sensitivity, like, and you turn into violence against others for no reason, just for just being a jealous asshole, really. Yeah. And I think that, like, if you're that insecure, honey, you might need to do some self-evaluation um, before you decide to, like, take things out on another person. Of but, course. I mean, that's just There my you go. That, that's some free advice right there. Free huh? advice. <laughs> right there. No um, charge for that No one. charge. So, I have a case for you, Dylan. Um, and, I mean, I'm sure that you could just tell by the tone of my voice. It's not great. On September 21st, 2015, Daniel Spencer, 32, invited his neighbor, James Miller, 67, to his home to have a jam session and some drinks. Even though they had only met twice, they shared the same love for music, so a jam session only seemed appropriate. But what was supposed to be a joyous session turned into something far worse. Our story begins when James walks into the Austin Fleet Service Center in East Austin, Texas at 3.45 a.m which is a place where city vehicles like fire trucks and police cars go to get repaired. As you can imagine, they saw it as odd for someone to be coming in so early in the morning, especially a civilian at that. Little do they know, more unexpected is coming their way. According to a report from KVUE News, James asked to speak to a police officer. Once the officer arrived, James told them, I think I killed someone. I stabbed him. Miller then led them to an apartment building on the 1100 block of Novosa Street where the crime took place. 
It was obvious to police looking in from the outside window that something dreadful happened. Near the front door, what they saw was an unresponsive man lying on the floor in the home, along with whiskey bottles and beer cans. Upon rushing inside the unlocked home, officers could see an excessively bloody crime scene with a horrendous trail leading from the kitchen to the hallway all the way to the front door near the deceased man's body. He is cold to the touch and is declared dead at 4.38 in the morning. James claimed that the victim's name was David, who was actually later identified as Daniel Spencer. James is immediately put under arrest and is transported to the Austin Police Station for further interrogation. According to the Austin Police Arrest Affidavit, as quoted from KXAN News, after police asked him what happened here, it states that Miller said, we were playing, we were doing the good music, we were playing back and forth and everything, and I just let him know, hey, I'm not gay. We've been playing, we're musicians and all that kind of stuff, but I'm not a gay guy. Then it seemed like everything was all right and everything was fine. And when I got ready to go, it seemed like expletive just started happening. Which, by the way, Dylan, did you just let people go around knowing whether you're queer or not? Like, do you feel the need to justify that to just anybody? Like... I don't know. It kind of seems like maybe he might be a little gay. Yeah, like, why did, <laughs> why did he feel the need to justify that? Like, Yeah, I mean, like, nobody asked. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I don't just walk into a situation, like, we're just having a jam session, and all of a sudden, like, I'm just like, I'm not gay, dude. Hey, I'm not gay. Bro, bro I'm not gay. I'm not gay. Just, just so you know, not, not gay. gay. <laughs> no like, homo, bro. Yeah, and so it's just like, apparently playing a saxophone on a guitar is gay, Um, so he felt yeah, the need yeah. to justify that. So basically, it left police questioning what exactly took place that night. In this affidavit, it is also stated that James wouldn't say anything else until he had a lawyer. So police put him under arrest and is charged with first degree murder. Unfortunately, there is not a timeline of how this investigation took place, but something that got brought to the question for police after seeing a gruesome crime is why James himself is not covered in blood and where is the murder weapon? Did he shower? Oh, Dylan. Did he, wait, that is that he was in his right mind if he was like get putting shit away. He stuff. was fully aware. Yeah. Like he was fully aware. So if you show up to the police and you're talking to the police and you look like a clean guy and you just say that you killed somebody, like that kind of seems like that's a little uh, a little fishy. Something's a little fishy there because it's like okay, you just murdered somebody, but you're clean. Yeah, you're calm, cool, collected. Well, get this, prior to James heading to the service center, he later admits that he ran home around the corner and changed his clothing, left the bloodstained, soaking clothes in bleach, and left the murder weapon, which was found to be a folding knife in the pants pocket. So it's like, he must have felt guilty at some point because it's like he had intention of like, not getting caught. Like he bleached his clothes, you know? It's like, yeah. Yeah, you just murdered somebody. So. Police send the physical evidence for DNA testing and Daniel's body is sent for an autopsy. Later, the Travis County Medical Examiner determined his death as a homicide and the blood on the clothes is a match for Daniel. When James's long-awaited trial comes around in April of 2018, Dylan, do you remember when I said that this case first took place? What? Oh, wow. Okay, so in 2015, that's so crazy. Like, I don't know why my mind, like, didn't want to think it was, like, recent. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it literally took them like, almost three years to finally make a fucking trial. Are you kidding me? That's wild that, like, okay, so they... Okay, so the family, like, had to wait that long. That to, whole, this whole entire time, not and, having answers. And they're going to get the most bullshit trial ever. Oh, God, okay. you have no idea. Okay, so, go ahead. In April of 2018, the attorney decides to use the gay panic to... The gay panic as a defense because according to statistics tracked by criminal justice experts, this strategy can get a charge reduced in even super violent homicide cases a third of the time. A whole third of the time? Are you kidding me? Defense attorney Charlie Blair told reporters that he thought that his client should have been acquitted on the basis of self-defense. Believe it or not, the judge allows it. The judge says it. It's okay. Yeah. What? Justifiable murder. What the fuck? As well, Miller attorney argued that the difference in the men's stature could have made Miller a fear for his safety. Miller is 66 years old, 5 feet and 4 inches tall, and on social security, Charlie Blair said, which means Spencer's youth, health, and size could have been intimidating. Baird also said that he did not want to let race be a part of the decision, so he told the jury to switch Miller's position as a black man with that of Spencer, who was white. Oh. You're making this not what it is at all, and you're trying to turn people's attention away from what the real issue is here. Like... Yeah. So it is quoted as Baird saying, he is confronted by an individual who is six foot four, somewhere around there, half his age and strong. I want you to put yourself in Mr. Miller's shoes. So, yeah, like literally this guy is looking for sympathy for Miller from the jury. That yeah. is fucking crazy. Like he is literally like, oh, I can't, ooh, okay, I just have to go on, I'm sorry. As stated in Austin American Statesman, James takes the stand, and when they asked if they fought, Miller said no. But he testifies that he told Daniel that he was not gay after Daniel tried to kiss him, then tried to leave, and then Daniel started yelling at him and leaned toward James with the glass, which apparently frightened James due to Daniel's height and age, and that's when he pulled the knife out of his pocket, reached around, and stabbed him. According to Daniel's devastated friends and family, they testified that he identified as heterosexual. Never to their knowledge did he identify as gay. Although it's no one's business, unfortunately this case involves Daniel's sexuality and he's not even here to say whether or not he is a part of the community. Like, this is just all going off of word of mouth from the murderer. Yeah. <sighs> I like if, okay, so if you're gonna use the gay panic defense and the person is not even there to be like, hey, I'm not even... I'm not even gay. Like, it shouldn't even be allowed. It but, shouldn't even be allowed. But, but, hear me out. Like, he's, he might not even be gay, you know? Like, you're fucking up a person for no re like, you know? Exactly, and you're literally going based off of you saying that you're not gay because of your own insecurities. Yeah. Like, you're not even going based off of Daniel's sexuality. So even this based defense, off of your own insecurities. yeah, even this defense falls through. Even if like let's say it was like not looking at the fact that it's just a fucked up defense, um, it it can't even hold up because 
there's not even like you can't even prove that he was gay exactly so it doesn't exactly. make so even in the other in the like completely i'm just ignoring the fact that it's so wrong but even if i were to see it from that angle it's like it's already a fucked up defense like yeah. it doesn't work yeah, it's trash like, the two just don't connect they yeah. don't they just don't so as stated in the aes prosecutors said that because spencer did not touch miller or state any intention to hurt him the notion that he used deadly force or self-defense was ludicrous which it totally is prosecutor matthew foy said that the facts that spencer was stabbed in the back and that miller showed no sign of harm on his body the day of the slaying proved that it was not self-defense it literally proved it the defendant doesn't have so much of a, as a scratch on him, Foy said, comparing photos of the crime scene with a photo of Miller's hands that same day. This defendant murdered Daniel Spencer. Foy said that the threat of sexual assault as a basis for self-defense does not make sense because Miller had never spoken about a specific sexual advance. Even an unwanted kiss does not qualify as a sexual assault, Foy said. It's pretty absurd. It can't even possibly be immediately necessary to use deadly force if no one is attempting to use force against you. As we know, the decision isn't up to the prosecution, but it is up to the jury. So, after a 10-hour deliberation, the jury finally reaches a verdict. Which, by the way, can we please talk about how it took them 10 hours to come to a decision? Like, what, what is there to not see here? How is... I just don't get how you could still be on James's side after hearing all of the evidence. I don't get why it took a deliberation so fucking long. So, they find James Miller innocent and not guilty of manslaughter or murder. He is convicted of criminally negligent homicide, which is a significantly less serious charge than the other two. Dylan, please tell me, what do you think his sentence was? Just take a lucky guess. Five years. <laughs> it was six months in a county jail and ten years probation. You're fucking lying. Are you fucking kidding me? Because the victim was allegedly gay and allegedly made a move on James. You're fucking kidding me. <laughs> like, literally, what, what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> it... Okay, so I I just want to go back to the sentence like that you said when you mentioned the fact that even an unwanted kiss does not qualify as sexual assault. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. Like somebody kisses you, you don't really want it. You're just like, oh, oh, sorry, dude. Don't really not into it. You know, like yeah. it could have ended there. Yeah. So in the scenario that someone makes an advance and they're not forcing it on you, but yeah. it's just like literally like leaning forward, like yeah that's not justifiable homicide no it's not it's not i mean if there's no ag aggression no no force nothing like it's just like like maybe you just got the wrong idea you know i mean it's like case by case basis but th nothing justifies murder like that nothing justifies murder especially like, like like especially in this scenario like it just doesn't make sense and the fact that six months in a county jail like are you joking and then People... can we go back to how much time that james awaited a trial three fucking years almost 
just to come to that conclusion to find him innocent and oh not guilty? Gosh, like literally, people are sitting in jail for longer for like marijuana, like, marijuana, like a literal marijuana, like a joint. <sighs> people are still in jail for, and that's just and this is like killing a human. Like you killed another person. Someone's whole life. Yeah, and. No, like, people people get, like, way longer sentences for dumb shit than... And they didn't kill anyone. Yeah. Okay, that's... Yeah, that's wild. I, I feel like I keep saying that's wild. But, I mean, it's just, like, so insane that it would even be a thing. I just don't understand. Well, I really wish that it ended there. But, unfortunately, okay. it doesn't. Lay it on me. On August 17th, 2013, Islan Nettles was 21 in Harlem, New York. On her way walking home with her friend, she and her friend came across a group of guys near West 148th Street. James Dixon approaches Islan, asks her for her name, and begins flirting with her. And everything is going fine up until one of his friends starts mocking him for flirting with someone who is trans. Enraged by his friends, James went into a blind fury causing him to spew homophobic slurs, and then he proceeds to push her. She pushes back, defending herself, then punches Islan in the face. Then, punching her a second time, knocking her to the ground where she lied on the sidewalk unconscious, putting her into a coma. Oh my god. And unfortunately, she never regained consciousness and died on August 22nd, 2013. While she was in her coma, James decided to turn himself into the police on August 20th, 2013. Oddly enough, the police don't believe him. Which, I'm gonna pause right there, but it's like, someone is literally coming to you to turn your- Like, do you think that someone is just coming to turn themselves in for fun? Like, what? Like, they don't believe him? Okay. (sighs) Instead, They arrest and charge the suspect, Paris Wilson, who was also there that night with a misdemeanor assault and harassment. Police treated her murder as a possible hate crime, but didn't even care to take it seriously, which, by the way, is far too common when it comes to trans women of color. What is even worse is that detectives didn't even make an effort to visit the Harlem hospital where she was being treated. In 2015, police finally decide to arrest and indict James, literally two years after her murder. And I think that that goes to and say- And he tried to turn himself in. He tried to turn they himself in shit. sooner. And if we look at the similarities between this case and the last one, why does it take so fucking long for them to even like either A, get arrested or B, get a trial? Like, I feel like that speaks a lot of volume on where the police's quote unquote priorities are. Well, I mean, if they, oh my god, they didn't even get it. Okay, but they didn't get a trial. They got this fucking six months of fucking jail time. That's it. In the last one, yeah. so it's just dis- disgusting. So they finally decide to arrest him two years after her murder with first and second degree manslaughter and first degree assault. He pleads not guilty, and his team opts for the panic defense, and the judge allows it. And. I feel like in cases specific to like the LGBTQ plus community where someone is attacked, lawyers keep this in their back pocket because it is so fucking easy. It's kind of just like he pulled out a card like, yep, okay, we're just going to use a gay panic defense. Here it is. Like, it's too fucking easy. 
not only does he allow it, but he also says that James's video confession is admissible in court. Why? <laughs> why? Wait, why? Yeah. In the video, James's transphobia is obvious and he's referring to Islam in derogatory terms and said that he went into a blackout rage after finding out she was trans, following with, I didn't want my manhood to be threatened. He denied being transphobic and homophobic and said, I don't care what they do, I just didn't want to be fooled. Which, if you ask me, this is totally dismissible, considering the assault in the first place. Like, this sounds like nothing but a man suffering with toxic and fragile masculinity. <laughs> so, James takes a plea deal after the tapes are ruled admissible and pleads guilty to the first degree manslaughter. The DA initially recommends 17 years after murdering Islan, but due to the panic defense, he only gets 12, which is a third of his original sentence. Islan's family and friends were absolutely devastated. Dolores Nettle said that her daughter was beat so bad that she had to have brain surgery as soon as she went in. How do you sleep at night? How do you rest? The anguished mom asked. I can't rest. I hope you die, she went on. I hope you rot. The victim's sister, Sky Nettles, was so upset that she could barely speak. For him to only get 12 years? That's not right, said the 19-year-old sibling. He should have thought about what he did before all this got too serious. A statement by the victim's father, Anthony Mudan, read by prosecutor Nicholas Rohr, said, 12 years is nowhere near the appropriate sentence for the man that didn't care that she was already unconscious when she hit the ground and mercilessly continued to pummel her as she lay there unconscious and defenseless. Sky Nettles, speaking in front of friends and family and trans activists who packed the courtroom, said, the death of her sister was traumatizing to her and her younger siblings. She described the terrifying sight of her disfigured sister in a hospital bed. My sister couldn't even speak. She didn't even look like herself, the tearful young woman said. She looked like a monster. One of the shittiest parts about this is that once James is out, he still has the opportunity to live his life, go home to his family, and be treated as if he never had any wrongdoings. As for Islam, she was grossly stripped of her life ahead of her. Before her murder, she was a vibrant and outgoing woman who was also an assistant of a local designer in Harlem. She was even in the midst of starting her own fashion line. But now due to somehow allowed legal defenses of the state and some guy's ignorant views towards trans women, she doesn't get to live out her life nor her dreams. <sighs> yeah, so... It's just unfair. It's just really fucking unfair. And I just don't understand how there is no justice at all like it's almost like they don't even see it as a life being taken yeah yeah it's it's heavy like there has to be a way you know to make it illegal to use that defense there just has to be and if i'm not mistaken i believe that this is still legal in 48 states so when I was doing my research, I tried to look for cases where a woman had harmed another woman and used the panic defense in court to help her case. But the longer and longer that I searched, I couldn't find anything. Then I came across our good friend Wikipedia and they had made a point that I felt was obvious, but I didn't consider. The page says, broadly the defenses may be called the gay and trans panic defense or the LGBTQ plus panic defense. 
They are typically used by heterosexual cisgender men against gay men and trans women. And my partner Zach made a good point, which was that women wouldn't typically act violently towards another woman if they had suspicions about her sexuality, or even if they elicited some type of sexual persuasion. Of course, I'm not just diminishing that that is impossible, but it's true. Like, I just think that women have a significantly more amount of common sense (laughs) in this scenario. Like, no, and in, I mean, women statistically are like less violent. Like, it's always, it's always like, especially white cis men that are out here committing these like super violent, heinous acts. Um, so. I don't know why they do it, you know? Like, I'll, I don't think I'll ever understand, but at the same time, it's like, it's like I'm not surprised to hear that it, you had a hard time finding a woman on woman, like, act like that, that that used the gay panic defense. Yeah, and you know, I'm actually really glad that you brought that up because neither of these men were white. They were both black men. So... Mm-hmm. Later, I thought about how the murderers in these crimes were men of color. And Dylan, you can stop me like if I'm not making sense or if this isn't delivering with my intent, but how often do we actually see the law give black men a chance, even with crimes that aren't crimes at all? So it furthered my thought and I shared it with Zach and they said, it seems that the law only works in favor of black men when they commit the same heinous crimes as white men, even worse towards the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. So it's truly mind-boggling to me how our government is made up to be pro-man. And let's not forget that it is not up to the prosecutors who they find guilty or not guilty, but it's up to the jurors who sit in these long hours of deliberations actually arguing that a man is given a lower sentence and or found to be not guilty. And the state fully allows it. (laughs) Like, the state fully allows it to begin with. Like... My mind is just blown. Yeah. Beyond blown. Like I look wow, that is a very good point. <sighs> just like the fact and it and it, oh god, and it just sucks. So if you are a black man who is going against LGBTQIA people, just know that that it's just not historically it's just not like it's not African thing, right? Like a lot of people think like Like, it's, like, my roots, you know? Like, I'm, you know, sticking with my tradition. It's, like, no, you're sticking with the colonizer. (laughs) Exactly. The colonizers implicated that into um, people of color. Like, homophobia was widely spread by, by, by like, Catholic church and... So heavily influenced. Yeah. It's just... And it's, like, not, like, 100%, but, yeah, I mean mostly like it that's that's some colonizer shit you're that's some that's colonizer shit some colonizer agenda that you're <sighs> you know and and i i love that that that's a great point that you know the the law favors like these men if they're committing the same heinous acts as white men so yeah. that's wild yeah So, if you thought that the cases that I mentioned before were controversial, just wait until you hear this one. And it's kind of like, this is the one that really, really hit me hard because I relate too close to home to it. 
Larry King was born on January 13, 1993 in Ventura, California, to a 15-year-old mother who had an unfortunate addiction to crack cocaine and alcohol. Being so young and not having the means to support Larry and his younger brother Rocky, she turned to sex work to be able to provide for them, but also to support her substance addiction. Two years later, both children were adopted by Gregory and Don King. According to Gregory, Larry was diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder, which is characterized by markedly disturbed and developmentally inappropriate ways of relating socially in most contexts. It was a third grade when Larry started experiencing bullying by his fellow students due to what society considers effeminacy. As well, he was openly gay at the age of 10. When he was 12, he was put on probation for theft and, va and vandalism. I wasn't able to find exactly what for, but some sites had said that it was for taking food from the fridge at, at his adoptive parents' house, and other sites said that it was for vandalizing a tractor with a razor blade, which both of those things, I'm like, okay. Um, but anyways, in November 2007, he was removed from his adoptive home and placed in a group home where he was also receiving treatment named Casa Pacifica after he accused his adoptive father of physically abusing him, which Gregory later denied charges. In January 2008, he attended EO Junior High School where he found it to be a more accepting environment. He was a part of a friend group with some girls who embraced him and didn't pass judgment. However, he was bullied and, he was bullied and ridiculed by some of the boys in his gym class, especially when he would wear what's considered feminine clothing, makeup, and heels. Larry responded to the bullying by defending himself and doing what made him feel safe. He would tell boys who harassed him in the locker room that they looked attractive or ask if he could sit at their table in the cafeteria. Some boys reported to their teachers that he would tell them, I know you want me in the hallways between classes. And honestly, I'm guilty of this myself because from the perspective of me being gay at such a young age, I was like just constantly harassed to where it got to the point to where it's like okay you're gonna fucking pick on me then i'm gonna do something that bothers you so it's like from my perspective i totally get where he's coming from because there's just a point where you get fed up with it and you don't know what else to do so i can't speak for anybody else but i know that i have the same experience with this rocky his younger brother was also bullied because of how his older brother because of how his older brother presented himself and oddly enough, some of his teachers felt that he was out of dress code because they found his sense of fashion to be a distraction. Which, by the way, ew? <laughs> um, <laughs> luckily, there are California laws that prohibit discrimination based on gender, including gender expression, so he was not prevented from dressing to his uh, preference. In addition, Larry had also asked to be referred to as Letitia. On January 29th, the assistant principal sent out a formal notice via email to the staff that stated, We have a student on campus who has chosen to express his sexuality by wearing makeup. It is his right to do so. Some kids are finding it amusing, others are bothered by it. As long as it does not cause classroom disruptions, he is within his rights. We are asking that you talk to your students about being civil and non-judgmental. They do not have to like it, but they do need to give him his space. We are also asking you to watch out for possible problems. If you wish to talk further about it, please see me or Joy Epstein, which was the principal. Gotcha. And I'm glad that an email was sent out, but it didn't prevent the tragedy that took place. So on February 10th, Larry walked onto the basketball court 
and approached Brandon McKierney, who was 17 at the time and also had come from a troubled past. Larry had asked Brandon if he wanted to be his valentine. And I don't really know if Larry was doing this as a joke because Brandon bullied him or if he was genuinely interested in him. Anyways, Brandon said no and got made fun of by his teammates. On February 11th, shortly after lunchtime, Larry passed Brandon in the corridor and said, Love you, baby. Later that day, Larry was seen parading back and forth in high-heeled boots and makeup in front of Brandon. According to a teacher, a group of boys were laughing at Brandon, who was getting visibly upset, and assistant principal Joy Epstein, noticing Brandon's reaction, wagged her finger at him. When Brandon endured teasing because of his, the incident, he attempted to recruit other students to assault Larry, but no one expressed interest. He then told one of Larry's friends to say goodbye to him because she would never see him again. Which is an imminent threat right then and there. And also, it's like, that whatever he's going to do, it was... He planned it. it because yeah. it, if he went over to pretty much tell one of his, his friends, that means he's been planning it. Exactly. And not only that, but it's like, he had to have planned it because he tried to get other boys involved. Oh, and yeah. they were like, yeah, no. Like... Like, we're good. We're good. Like, we don't need to assault somebody, but... I'm just gonna call him gay, you know, and move on. Exactly. <laughs> so... Dang. On the morning of February 12th, 2008, Brandon was witnessed repeatedly looking at Larry during a class in, in a computer laboratory. At approximately 8.15am, Brandon drew from his backpack a 22 caliber revolver belonging to relatives and shot Larry twice in the back of the head. Following the shooting, Brandon tossed the handgun on the floor and walked from the classroom. He was apprehended by police five blocks away from the school campus, and about seven minutes later, Larry was transported to St. John's Regional Medical Center, where he was listed in serious condition. He was declared vain dead on February 13th, but kept on life support for two days so that his organs could be donated. It's just unfortunate to think that this happened while Larry was literally just at school like a place where he was supposed to be considered safe and you know he was allowed to express his identity even if it was unfavorable to other people and it's it's just a this really this combines really... like two of the most terrifying things in my eyes literally a hate crime because of expression or gender, you know, or, or sexuality or gender expression, identity, and school shootings. Yeah. Like, that's literally the two scariest things to me. Like, this person was just trying to, like, learn, get their education, and so the student was so bothered by them that they took a revolver and shot them in the head. Exactly. Yeah, so... And it kind of makes me think about like back to my childhood because I literally experienced the same exact thing that Larry did. And it kind of makes me think about, you know, like I said, how Larry was doing this to protect himself. You know, like yeah. his flirtation with these other boys was a form of protection. Like you get it, like since yeah. you were that age and you were out so early. Yeah, and it makes me think about like, you know, how many times I made remarks to boys like this because mm -hmm. they harassed me and how this literally could have happened to me. But uh, I'm so just so fucking hurt that it happened to Larry and literally my heart aches for him because fuck it's like 
He was so young. He was so, so, so young. And he didn't deserve that. So, obviously, Brandon had to go to trial because he murdered somebody. Um, and on the first day of trial, James Bing, McCarney's half-brother, was admonished by Judge Kimball because it was overheard that Bing went to the jury outside of the courtroom and addressed them, and he said, The fate of my brother is in your hands. Bing was then bad from the courtroom unless he was summoned to testify. The prosecutor depicted that Brandon as a popular teenager who was skilled in martial arts and firing guns, as well as being a white supremacist. Which, um... <laughs> those three things. Yeah. Skilled in martial arts, firing guns, and, and being, being a, a white, white supremacist. supremacist. Yeah. Ooh. What? Um, Yikes. She went on to describe Larry as a small guy who had often been picked on, saying that Larry wore high-heeled boots, makeup, and jewelry along with his school uniform along with his school uniform to school. Scott Wimper, Brandon's attorney, described Larry as the aggressor, saying that he was often sexually aggressive and made and often made inappropriate remarks provoking Brandon. Witnesses who were students and classmates of Brandon's testified on July 7, 2011. One witness said that Larry told her that he changed his name to Leticia. Another witness said many students made fun of Larry and called him offensive names behind his back when he came to school wearing makeup and jewelry. A few of the witnesses said that they never noticed Larry making sexual advances towards other students, but that sexual comments were, were just messing with Brandon. The former vice principal of EO Green School, Joy Epstein, testified on July 11, 2011. She said, she said she had discussed Larry's behavior with other school officials of the school district and they decided it was according to the constitutional rights of California. Legitimate for Larry to wear what he wanted unless it violated the school's dress code. Joy Epstein said high-heeled boots, makeup, and jewelry were allowed according to the Oxnard school dress policy. She said another administrator within the district she said another administrator within the district said that the school must protect the students' civil and equal rights. Another teacher testified that pupils had told her King would seek them out and follow them into the bathroom. Behavior she considered to be sexual harassment. She was told by Epstein the school could do nothing about the behavior. So I'm I'm not like justifying like sexual assault. I, I do believe like if he was doing that that's very wrong but at the same time i don't think that it's okay to kill people especially bringing a weapon to school and shooting them in the back of the head because you're not in immediate harm at that moment exactly that person is like literally turned away from you so you cannot make the argument that this person was gonna attack you exactly it they were turned around like you're not you're not an immediate threat at that point so setting aside the fact that possible sexual harassment was going on at that moment in time it wasn't going on yeah yeah literally just sitting in his computer lab yeah on july 22nd 2011 the jury was shown footage of a video in which brandon was fighting in the ventura county juvenile hall where he currently lives 
One of the corrections officers testified that the defendant was a quote-unquote good kid in the honors program for good behavior and had relationships with people of different backgrounds and origins. He said that within the juvenile hall environment, fighting was a routine occurrence and that Brandon was not prone to violence as the prosecution alleged. Don Baldron, an English teacher, had testified and said that she counseled Larry and told him that he should not wear attention-getting clothing if he did not want to receive negative attention. Yeah, blame the victim. Literally. Uh, victim blaming. Hi. She also gave the teen who was exploring his sexual and or gender identity a strapless green chiffon gown. She meant for him to wear it outside of school, and a photo was taken of Larry holding up the dress and many people in the courtroom were crying. Greg King, Larry's father, became upset and gathered his family to leave, but before doing so, Don King, Larry's mother, swore at Baldron's 13-year-old daughter and a relative. The judge later barred Don King from the remainder of that trial because the school administrators were allowing Larry to wear what he wanted as long as it did not violate the dress code. The defense was arguing that this allowed Larry to sexually harass Brandon. No, just because somebody is wearing makeup and a cute outfit does not mean they are trying to harass you. Yeah. That is not a good... No. Yeah, literally. No. The trial ended without a verdict and was declared a mistrial by the judge. Ventura County Superior Court Judge Charles Campbell on Thursday, September 1st, 2011, after the jury reported that they were hopelessly deadlocked and unable to reach a unanimous verdict. There were eight weeks of testimony with almost 100 witnesses, and the jury had been deliberating since August 26, 2011. The jury had taken four votes, and the last vote was, was split between seven jurors voting for voluntary manslaughter and five jurors voting for first-degree or second-degree murder. Later analysis showed defense attorneys had chosen to pursue gay panic defense tragedy, which with several with several jurors later stating on the television program 2020 that Larry had been bullying Brandon, leaving Brandon with no way out. Are you That's... serious? No. Are you serious? So, no. Several jurors later stated on the TV show that they shouldn't have been allowed to comment on that show because now the second trial is like gonna be fucked oh it, it it if the juror is like googled what happened in the first trial and they find that video it's gonna influence them oh for sure so for the second trial on september 2nd 2011 the district's attorney office announced that they intended to retry brandon and a hearing was scheduled for october 5th 2011 for the second trial, the prosecutors dropped the hate crime charge. On November 21st, 2011, Brandon pleaded guilty to second-degree murder, voluntary manslaughter, and the use of firearm. He was sentenced to 21 years behind bars, initially in a juvenile facility, and then in prison upon turning 18, with no credit given for time served prior to the trial or for good behavior. He was sentenced on December 19th. Brandon is currently in prison at the California Correctional Center. Oh my god. Literally just this whole dropping story. the the hate crime charge is just ridiculous. And because the, this is literally a hate crime. This like, is literally a hate crime and not only that, but the fact that adults 
very well grown adults in the jury think that this 15 year old boy deserved to die and that he was bullying Brandon. Adults. Goes to show, it's like what you're exposed to can influence you so much. Like, these people need to stop with their anti-LGBTQIA propaganda. They really fucking do because what they, the this is fuck? this kills people, man. It kills people. Not only does it kill people, it just it devastates. This dev- devastates lives for, for real. Exactly, and it makes people think that this is okay. That this is okay for there to be justifiable murder against minorities. Like... Uh-huh. Absolutely. So I have some quotes for you, Dylan, and these honestly just fucking hurt my heart. Okay. Let's do it. This is from Larry's father, Greg King. Larry had a complicated life, but he did not deserve to be murdered. Greg King said that he was satisfied by the deal reached with his son's killer, given the unpredictability of juries. 21 years is a long time, King said. At the end of the day, this is something we can live with. I'm glad that they feel like some kind of um, closure. I think that like nothing will bring back their son, but at least they, they feel like it is sufficient time spent. Because it usually doesn't work out that way, and all that does, I feel like, makes the parents carry that weight with them. And that anger and resentment. And, I mean, this is a shitty situation, but at least in this case, there was some justice served. Yeah. The victim's mother, Don King, revealed for the first time Monday that she had contacted school officials four days before the shooting in an effort to solicit their cooperation in toning down her son's behavior. The boy had been taken from King's home two months earlier by authorities because of problems at home. She said she was told that her son had civil rights to explore his sexual identity. She is quoted as saying, I knew gut instinct that something serious was going to happen. They should have contained him and contained his behavior. So the family, especially Larry's father, really felt that this was a school's fault for allowing him to express himself. I still feel like this is victim blaming. Is even it's from, from his parents? Yeah, even from the family's point, like the fact that you would still say it was like your child's fault for expressing who they are, is beyond me. Like that is not. I understand that they loved their child, right? And they didn't want any harm to go by them, but it was not your son's fault for this horrific. Um, incident to have occurred to them it is 110% Brandon's fault for committing for committing the heinous act and and that is why that person is sitting in jail so no I don't think I, I think it's it's sad that even in death Larry doesn't get the support from um his family so yeah, rest in peace, Larry. Rest in peace, Larry, and... <sighs> Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, even though I know you, you're hitting a lot of... you're hit, Every time you hit, like, a really just heavy topic like this, 
I think about how important it is that we know that this is even happening. Because I'm telling you, weeks ago, I didn't know this was a thing. Like, at all. I didn't know that people were using this as an actual legal defense. Like, that's crazy. And you have to, I mean, you have to know the ugly. So, you you know, we can become aware of it. Um, But I I thank you so much for doing all of this research and for giving us such a thorough and beautiful piece today. Honestly, I am really glad that I am able to do that and I mean for for lack of a better term I'm really glad that I was able to provide this information um although I'm I'm not gonna sit here and pretend that this was easy for me no Um, and I and I know and that's why I wanted to thank you like on the podcast because I know how hard it must be even that last case that that I know hit close to home for you since you did come out very early on and you were bullied in school. I think just seeing, like, you know, having to go through that, I I thank you because you're right. Like, that hits. That hits. Yeah. So, you know, the only thing that we can do is really just bring awareness, really help to fight homophobia and transphobia, men and boys like these shouldn't be allowed to get away with the things that they did and it's like even though there's being time served and there's probation and there's this and there's that i still feel at the end of the day nothing justifies someone's life being taken whether they're whether their sexuality or their gender identity like that should never it should never be a factor uh of whether someone was rightfully murdered or not so and I know that I keep saying that but fuck I really I really just can't so as you guys know we do love to do spotlight organizations so for this um, week's spotlight organization I would really like to bring GLAAD which is G-L-A-A-D to your guys' attention so GLAAD rewrites the scripts for the LGBT for LGBTQ plus acceptance as a dynamic media force, GLAD tackles tough issues to shape the narrative and provoke dialogue that leads to cultural change. GLAD protects all that has been accomplished and creates a world where everyone can live the life that they love. Boom. So, um, as you guys can see here, we obviously need more awareness to mm-hmm. people. More awareness really needs to happen, and I'm really happy to hear that GLAD is doing that. So if you guys would like to um, pay them a visit, their website is going to be gladglaad.org and you can donate underneath the donate tab and it'll also be listed in our show notes below and on our website. Um, But that completes the episode for this week, Dylan. Um, So I, oh God, I, I really wish that we could just, and on better terms and like I'm, I'm really trying to find a way to like steer this to like a happy <laughs> goodbye but fuck yeah well I think you did an excellent job and that was very informative so I think that just goes to show how important it is for people who can safely be out and proud to do so for the people who can't and to expose others and just make put a face on those labels um to end this demonization that people 
have with the LGBTQIA community. Yes. Yes. There you go. I agree with you 100%, Dylan. Well, thank you so much for listening to me. I know that it couldn't have been easy for you either. Um, but, you know, thank you for listening to this. And thank all of you for making it to the end, if you did. So, Dylan, tell us what we can be looking forward to next week. I'm really excited for next week's episode because I get to interview a very amazing person. A very beautiful, gorgeous, amazing person. Oh, my gosh. Wait, Lady Gaga's coming on the show? Shut up. <laughs> Zach, I am interviewing you next week. And oh we are gosh. getting juicy. We are getting dirty. We are getting all the grimes. Yes. And yes. all Lord of the tea. I have a lot of it. Yes. <laughs> all the herbs. So, so stay tuned for next week. Stay tuned for next week, guys. Um, please make sure to share us with your friends, your family members, your plants. Your plants are going to love listening to us. You know what um, my parents used to make me do when um, we would be leaving the house when I was younger for my animals? They So that my animals wouldn't be scared, they would make us leave the TV on. So um, so your plants aren't scared when you're gone, um, or your animals are home alone. You should totally just like leave our podcast Yeah, they want to listen to they us They want to listen to us. Like, they need to be aware of these things just as much as you guys do. Um, <laughs> so thank you guys so much for listening. We are Whisper Podcast. Thanks for listening to Whisper Podcast. We're Zach and Dylan, and you can find us at Whisper Podcast on Instagram and on Twitter at Whisper underscore podcast. Visit our website and blog at thewhisperpodcast.com. Interested in chatting with us live? Send us a DM at one of the social sites or reach out at whisperwfpodcast at gmail.com with potential interviewees stated in the subject line. Cover art by Dylan Gomez. Editing by Zach Tyler. Music by audionautics.com. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Love the show? Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcast. We are a completely independent show, and if you'd like to give your support for the show and get a shout-out on air with a special gift, you can find us at WhisperPodcast on Patreon.com. Zach and Dylan are not licensed professionals, nor do we claim to be. Podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. If you or a loved one are in need of immediate help, we recommend that you contact a licensed professional or a hotline pertaining to your needs, which can be found on our website under the Help Is Here tab. Mm -hmm.